you've been doing some good coverage on the situation in Niger and uh, July 26th, as uh, my viewers may know, there was a coup that deposed the uh, Western-backed uh, head of state, Mohammed Bazoum, and there have been a lot of threats of war coming from France, the U.S. side. There's maybe a bit of more tepid approach, but we just had a visit, actually, from Victoria Newland, the Deputy Secretary of State. Um, you've done a lot of good coverage on Newland and her role in Ukraine, as well as her infamous neocon husband, Peter Kagan, um, Robert Kagan, I should say, and uh, and her role in the Maidan revolution, etc. But she wasn't even allowed to speak to the, uh, I think his name is Mr. Chiani, the, the general who was claimed head of state. I think they appointed a prime minister today, but she wasn't able to speak to anyone on any side. The uh, arrested Bazoom, Chiani, she only was able to speak to the defense chief. And um, so it wasn't a warm welcome. And I'm wondering about your reaction to this. There was warnings about Wagner, PMC, Russia's paramilitary group, private contractor, warnings against doing that. The U.S. has cut off aid. There's so many pieces to this story. Where would you like to begin, Ben? Well, we should begin with why there's so much Western interest in Niger, this is one of the poorest countries on earth. Uh, as of a report from 2013 by Oxfam, they, can, they reported that 90% of people in Niger did not have electricity. Uh, th that figure has slightly decreased since then. But still, we're talking about a country where, according to World Bank data, nearly half the population lives in extreme poverty, not just poverty, extreme poverty, over 40%. So why is the U.S. and France so interested? Well, of course... Niger was a French colony, along with most of West Africa. And what's not that well, what's not very well known is that France still maintains economic control over these countries through the use of the CFA franc, which the name CFA franc, which was created in the 1940s, what that had the word colonial in it. They renamed it using the same, you know, acronym, but it's still the same acronym. And the C was colonial, the colonial franc in Africa. And what that also states is that not only is that pegged to the euro, but it also, which means that these countries have no monetary sovereignty. It means that their monetary policy is dictated by the European Central Bank. But furthermore, the CFA franc system, there are two different economic systems in West Africa in which the, the, the franc is imposed. And it says that half of the foreign exchange reserves of central banks in West Africa, in countries like Niger, and Mali and Burkina Faso, they have to hold half of their reserves in the French treasury in Paris. So, I mean, this is economic neocolonialism. These countries don't have control over their economic policies. And furthermore, we haven't even talked about their natural resources. This is a very rich region of the world when it comes to natural resources. You know, as Michael Prenti often said, it's not that these countries are poor. Their people have been made poor, but they're actually very wealthy countries. They have very plentiful natural resources. And all across West Africa, I mean, many of these countries are major gold producers, including Niger and Mali. In the case of Mali being you know, one of its top exports is gold, and yet the majority of people live in poverty. In Niger, it's not only gold, but also uranium. 
the radioactive metal that is needed for nuclear energy. And France relied on roughly one-fifth of its uranium imports coming from Niger. The European Union also relied on roughly one-fifth of its uranium imports coming from Niger. And in the case of France, nuclear energy is not, not an insignificant factor, right? I mean, one-third of France's electricity comes from nuclear power, much more than in many other countries like the United States, for instance. In fact, in recent years, France has used more nuclear energy than energy coming, electricity coming from oil. So that is to say that, think about how important oil is for a modern economy, at least for energy. In the case of France, it really needs uranium. You know who the other major producers of uranium are in the world? Kazakhstan and Russia. So while the European Union is trying to break its energy partnership with Russia, boycotting Russian oil and putting the $60 price cap, they're trying also $50 price cap on Russian oil. And also, of course, there are many countries trying to reduce their imports of Russian gas, although that's actually much slower than the, the decrease in imports of Russian oil. So we see an attempt to cut off their energy partnership with Russia, but now they're losing another major provider of uranium. So, I mean, then there's also the geostrategic element in terms of military force. And this is a key other, another key element of neocolonialism. Not only France, but the United States has a massive military footprint all across West Africa and all across the African continent. I mean, AFRICOM, U.S. African Command, has U.S. Special Operations Forces and other forces, more conventional forces, in more than half of the countries on the African continent. And in the case of Niger, the U.S., at least recent reports show the U.S. had 1,000 troops and France has 1,500 troops. Now, the new nationalist government in Niger has said that they've broken their military ties with France, torn up their military agreements with France, and told the French troops to leave. And what was Paris's response? No, we're not going to leave because we don't recognize you as a legitimate government. So the U.S. and France have very strategic bases in Niger. In the case of the United States, it spent $110 million building a massive drone base. It was the largest base ever built by the U.S. Air Force. And the U.S. spends 20 to $30 million a year just maintaining that drone base. And it uses that base in Niger in the center of the Sahel region to, to exercise military control over the Sahel in countries like Mali, where there was a French military intervention in 2013 and 2014. So, I mean, these are all the details that we need to have in, in mind when we're talking about what's going on in Niger, not this infantile discussion of democracy, as if Victoria Newland, one of the main architects of the coup in Ukraine in 2014, that overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, who was geopolitically neutral and installed an undemocratic pro-Western regime. Now she is lecturing countries about democracy. I mean, it's absolutely beyond, it's beyond satire. I mean, this reality is more satirical than satire. <laughs> yeah, and what's so interesting about this is you have Victoria Newland, who is literally the architect or an agent, a direct agent of the coup in Ukraine, which, of course, has been erased from historical record and the neocons, the foreign policy establishment, does everything it can to do that from the U.S. and Western side. 
But at the same time, you've had in this case with Niger and similarly with Burkina Faso that you've also written about and Mali, uh, these countries, Guinea, all of these countries have had coups. And now these coups are being railed against, despite the fact that not only is Newland uh, one of the foremost players in the Ukraine coup, but this is U.S. foreign policy we're talking about. And even just the entire so-called collective West, the West. Coups are pretty uh, instrumental in the entire foreign policy of the West. So why is it that these coups are so problematic, Ben? Because um, I've heard some cynicism coming out of social media circles. And, uh, you know, there's always the left position of, well, coups are always bad and uh, don't replace, uh, you know, it's not good to just replace Western imperialism with uh, Russia or with the you know, maybe imperialism with a black face. What do you have to say to all of these arguments? And and why is it then that the West is so bent out of shape about these coups? Well, the obvious answer is because these countries in West Africa, not only Niger, also Burkina Faso, Mali, potentially Guinea, which is kind of playing both sides. Even Chad is, is not really on board with the West right now. This is a region of the world where there are nationalist governments that are exercising political control, sovereignty, and also specifically economic control over their natural resources. I've been reading a lot of the financial press's response because I think it's often you, you learn much more from the financial press than you learn from the political press because the political press is pure ideology, pure. It's all about ideological management, manufacturing consent. The financial press is written for investors, for capitalists who are trying to make money in all of this. They, they don't care about all of the propaganda and all of that. They just want to know whether or not they should withdraw their capital or invest, right? And if you read the financial press, they're much more pragmatic and they're like, yeah, there's a possibility these governments could nationalize their resources and that's why we're so angry. S&P Global, which runs a market intelligence firm, you know, linked to the S&P 500, right? The market index. The S&P Global Commodities Insight, which is this market intelligence firm, published a report in which they quoted a former State Department official who's now, you know, working in commodities markets. And he said, our biggest concern is that in Mali and Burkina Faso, the nationalist governments have nationalized the, the gold mining. He just said it clearly, like, we're really concerned about this. Previously, there were a lot of foreign companies, Western companies involved in mining the gold in these countries, and they were kicked out. Now the mining is being run you know, with state direction, with some help probably from other countries as well. But the point is that they just get straight to the point. And in the case of Niger, we've seen reports. It's hard to confirm whether or not it's really true. I've tried to investigate, but it's really hard to find a lot of the video footage because a lot of this is really only on TV in Niger. They don't really have a lot of live streaming on the internet. Again, this is one of the poorest countries in the world. But there have been reports that Niger has blocked exports of uranium and gold to the West. And that would make sense because it would be in the same pattern as what happened in Mali and Burkina Faso. So this is completely anathema to Western foreign policy, which is always about making these extremely favorable, you know, unequal agreements. Going back to the, you know, the unequal treaties imposed on China. These are these unequal agreements that these countries with plentiful natural resources are forced to sign with multinational corporations like French mining companies, French energy companies and U.S. companies to mine a lot of these minerals and the country ends up getting a little tiny percentage of the profits 
And, and with a lot of these neoliberal governments, that money just ends up going to the pockets of the elites, right? So the working class people of Niger who live in poverty don't see the benefits of gold mining. I mean, it's just, again, I just want to stress that point. These are countries that are exporting gold, a symbol of wealth. And yet the majority of their people live in poverty because of these unequal agreements where the governments don't actually get the proceeds, the revenues from these, this natural resource extraction. And again, those who do, it just ends up in the pockets of a few rich elites. So also, of course, these governments are popular. In fact, the economist, the, the voice of the Western bourgeoisie, Lenin famously called the economist, the journal that speaks for the British millionaires. And I, you know, would update it a hundred years later. It's <laughs> the corporate media outlet that speaks on behalf of transatlantic billionaire oligarch capitalist, right? That's the economist. I mean, they, they are the embodiment of neoliberalism. And they just published an article that showed that 78% of people in Niger support the nationalist policies of the military government. 73% of Nigerians, not Nigerians, Nigerians, the people in Niger, 73% want the military government to stay in power. Nearly three quarters only one quarter, just over one quarter, 27% want to put back in power the Western puppet, Mohammed Bazoum. And I've been reading a lot of these articles in the Financial Times in May did an interview with Bazoum. And he was just in the entire interview, he was defending France. And he was criticizing what he called populists in Niger, who said that France is still a colonial power. And he said, that's ridiculous. France is our partner. This is the president who was overthrown. I mean, a complete Western puppet. And even according to The Economist magazine, the voice of neoliberalism and imperialism, even they acknowledge that just around one quarter of people in Niger want him back in power, whereas three quarters support the military government. And another very interesting part of this poll, they asked people in Niger what country they see as their most important ally. So it was a superlative, right? You only can say one country. Over 60% said Russia. Nearly two-thirds, the majority of people said Russia is their most important ally. Now, the U.S. and France were very low. China was very low, but I've, as I've been pointing out, that doesn't mean that they're, they're against China because obviously China and Russia are very close allies. They have a very similar foreign policy in, in Africa. The way the question was framed is you can only pick one country who's the most important ally. So just because they said Russia doesn't mean they're anti-China. There's actually probably a lot of them who probably do support China. But the point is that, I mean, we're seeing a massive shift politically in the region. There is a lot of opposition to French neocolonialism and U.S. imperialism. And there's a lot of support for Russia and also China. And obviously this explains why the West is so angry and is trying to reimpose this guy, Mohammed Bazoum, because he's such a, an obedient Western ally, despite the fact that the majority of Nigerians don't want him. Yeah, and I know you've seen the videos, pictures circulating all over the internet, uh, massive protests, massive rallies in support of the government. And there's been more than a few Russian flags popping up. And um, actually, a, a Patreon supporter had a question that followed that really does flow into this uh, this point here. Because uh, they asked, uh, Raul asked, 
how do you respond to people? Because one of the reasons why Newland went to Niger was because of reports saying that the new government was reaching out to Wagner, Wagner PMC, for perhaps help in what could be a war, uh, <laughs> an intervention, a foreign intervention, likely led by France and ECOWAS. And so uh, Raul wanted to ask, uh, how do you respond to people who say that Wagner's interventions in Africa, because uh, Wagner is in Mali, Wagner is in uh, a few countries in North Africa, West Africa. What do you have to say to those folks who say that uh, it's the same as Western imperialism, that, um, you know, it's similar and if it's not the West, then it's going to be them. It's almost like this Cold War mentality and you see it all across the Western media. And of course, Victoria Nuland went running to Niger to to warn that this new government about that. What, what do you have to say to this? It's completely ridiculous. I mean, just look at the actual, not only the historical atrocities committed by French colonialism, but the continued policies of French neocolonialism. I mean, I talked about this early at the beginning because it's almost never mentioned, even by a lot of people like who I absolutely 100% respect and are friends and comrades and everything. They often forget when we're talking about Niger. This is a country whose currency is controlled by France. I mean, that is that is the epitome of neocolonialism. What is the currency of Niger and Mali and Burkina Faso? It's the CFA franc, which is controlled by France. These countries don't have monetary sovereignty. And if you don't have monetary sovereignty, how can you have economic sovereignty, yet alone political sovereignty, right? I mean, so this is actual neocolonialism. But furthermore, I mean, and again, not to mention the genocide committed by French and also Belgian colonialism in this region, you know, the millions of people who lost their lives, whether it's the Belgian control of, of the, the Congo and the genocide killing half of the Congolese population, and then later killing the first ever democratically elected prime minister, Patrice Lumumba, with an, an operation backed by the CIA, or Algeria, where France committed genocide, not that well remembered, France had concentration camps for Algerians after World War II, after the Nazi concentration camps. France made concentration camps for Algerians to try to maintain control over Algeria. And, of course, the Algerian people overthrew French colonialism in a popular revolution that happened over years but ended in, in 1962. So, I mean, the point is that these this brutal colonial history, comparing that to... Russia potentially giving some support to these countries is laughable. It shows how superficial the analysis of imperialism is by many of these people who claim to be anti-imperialists. If you're actually an anti-imperialist, you need to actually understand how imperialism operates. And furthermore, let's not exaggerate Russia's influence. There's no evidence whatsoever that Russia had a hand in the coup in Niger or that, that Wagner is even on the ground. In fact, if you read Russian media, which, you know, Russian state media, which obviously is not biased against Russia, even they have been saying that, yeah, like Russian influence is overstated here. So RT published an interesting article by this guy, Andrei Maslov, who previously ran, he was the director of Gazprom in Nigeria, which is the Russian state-owned gas giant. So he's clearly linked to the Russian government and he's an Africa expert. And in this article, he said that, look, and in fact, if you look at Russia diplomatically, on the for formally diplomatically, 
Russia actually condemned the coup. You know, that doesn't mean that Russia doesn't doesn't, you know, favorably see the new government. And I think it's very fair to conclude that they obviously are, are happy about what's happening. But that doesn't mean that they're behind it at the United Nations Security Council. There was a, there was a consensus to condemn the coup. And that's because Russia and also China, but more Russia has a consistent position condemning coups anywhere. I mean, because obviously they don't want to support coups. China actually, I think, has had the best position. They just haven't commented on it. They just don't they don't intervene and they don't comment in other people's um, what's happened in other countries and their internal affairs. And furthermore, he pointed out in this article that, you know, there's all this talk about Wagner. Well, clearly the Russian government and Wagner are not really on the same page. And, you know, there's been these comments, you know, about how, you know, Wagner has been trying to take credit and praising the coup and all this stuff. But there's a long history of Wagner exaggerating its influence. And just because they say stuff on social media, I mean, now, ironically, what this actually does is it actually helps Russia because Western powers are trying to portray every single anti-colonial movement in the world as being led by Putin puppets, right? And what that actually does is help further solidify Russia's reputation in the global South, which is very positive. And, you know, I know Latin America very well. I've never been to Africa. I would never claim to be an Africa expert. But from the polls we've seen in many parts of Africa, Russia is very popular because of the history of the Soviet Union supporting anti-colonial struggles. And in Latin America, which I do know very well, Russia is very popular, especially among the left, especially among anti-imperialists, because of that history of the Soviet Union. And because today, despite the fact that Russia has a capitalist government, it has maintained a foreign policy that is non-interventionist. They don't intervene in the affairs of Latin American and African nations. And obviously, they're, they're going to be supportive of a country that has oppo is opposing Western neocolonialism. So ironically, by exaggerating Russia's influence, this is only further solidifying Russia's reputation as an ally of anti-colonial movements. So I'm sure, you know, the Russian government is happy with this because, you know, they... <laughs> They don't. There's no evidence whatsoever linking them to the coup, and also in Mali and Burkina Faso. But by by you know the Ukrainian government's trying to blame Russia, and that actually ironically just helps solidify its reputation. And it is it is laughable in a lot of ways because even Egevni Prigozhin during Nolan's visit went to the media and said we're so proud of Wagner and what they're doing because we have Newland running to Niger begging us not to help it's obvious that we're a pretty effective force and that poll you were speaking of earlier too it makes me think about you know Burkina Faso I think in the last 24 hours had a horrific terrorist attack I think killed 20 people and these attacks since especially since the destruction of Libya have been so widespread all across the Sahel and Wagner has played. I mean, it's it's not a huge presence. It's about, a, I think, a couple thousand spread across various countries. But they do frontline help. And it's not just Russians who are participating in this. Wagner has many different nationalities who actually it's a It's a military contractor. So they have Africans. They have people from, you know, Europe, Eastern Europe. And, you know, it, it is. But. The fact that it is coming from Russia, that direct aid, it's not a surprise that people would appreciate that because this this issue alone, it has been a, a huge talking point, a huge political issue, and of course, an economic issue, because if you're already languishing in poverty, 
what does it mean to have a completely unstable political situation and perhaps life or death, you know, every single day, just trying to go about your day, it's life or death, because you never know. That's how often and frequent this happens. You never know when there's going to be an attack. And, and so I'm not surprised about that. And, and China has a completely non-interference in policy where they, they don't send the People's Liberation Army to help fight terrorism there. They, they're more about the UN and going through that mechanism. So I'm not surprised by the poll numbers, but I just think it's interesting that the more that the US and the West raise this alarmism across the political spectrum of Wagner, the more it highlights the role of Wagner and possibly actually strengthens uh, this matters. Uh, I think people all across the world, especially on the African continent, look at this kind of coverage and they say, well, perhaps Russia is doing something right here. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about this is often just really informed by my experience in Latin America, which, again, I would never claim to be an Africa expert, never been. But I think there are a lot of similarities in many global south you know developing countries formerly colonized countries and something that i've noticed in my time in latin america is that a lot of states are actually very weak and in the global north in imperialist countries there's often this very anarchist influence in a lot of left-wing movements because the state is seen as the enemy because the state is controlled by billionaire capitalist oligarchs and acts on behalf of the interests of big corporations against the interests of working people. So they assume that every state around the world is like that. And they assume also that every state around the world is this hyper-militarized, violent, repressive apparatus, like in the US, where you know police every year kill over a thousand people. But the reality is that in a lot of global South countries, especially very poor ones, the state is very weak. And in fact, in relation to international capital, the state is much weaker. I mean, as an example, in many global South countries that, you know, like in, in Central America, where I know very well, the GDP of the entire country, all of the goods and services produced in the economy is smaller than the revenue of big, massive multinational corporations. So if you're in a country like Niger and your GDP, your entire economy is smaller than the revenue of big multinational mining corporations, Think about what that means in terms of the government's power, in terms of its relationship to capital. I mean, these are very weak states. And furthermore, think about their military capabilities, considering how few resources they have. It also, by the way, explains why there frequently are coups in these countries. And some of them, although the majority are not, but there are some progressive coups led by leftist anti-colonial military leaders. And, you know... In the case of Egypt, you had Nasser. In Libya, you had Gaddafi. Um, in Burkina Faso, you had Thomas Sankara, who led a progressive military coup. And it's because in many of these countries, the, one of the only strong institutions is the military. So many other state institutions are completely weak. So the reality is that a lot of these people, they're not looking to abolish the state like these anarchists. In fact, it's the opposite. They have too weak of a state. They want a stronger state. And because the military is so weak, it can't actually maintain security. And that's, you have the rise of these fascist groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, which also have very questionable links to Western intelligence agencies, right? I mean, in Syria, in Libya, the US, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, they were supporting these so-called moderate rebels. 
and they were flooding these countries with weapons. And when they go to the, when those weapons go to Libya, they don't stay in Libya, especially after NATO destroyed the Libyan state in this 2011 war and they killed Gaddafi. And then Hillary Clinton went on TV and said, we came, we saw he died. All of those weapons went into neighboring countries like Niger, like Mali, like Burkina Faso. So you have a weak state, a weak military, a massive influx of weapons from the West to these extremist Salafi jihadist militias which have a history of being linked to Western intelligence agencies and being supported by Western intelligence agencies when it's in their political interest. I mean, it is no surprise why many of these governments are looking for new potential allies to help them fight against these insurgencies, because clearly over many years of U.S. and French support, they have not succeeded in defeating Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and ISIS affiliates. So, I mean, you also have to ask, is it in the political interest of the U.S. and France to actually defeat these Salafi jihadist groups or to just maintain the insurgency at a low manageable level, not not end it, but maintain it at a simmer. So when something like this happens, you allow them to attack the government. Right. It's, I'm not saying that like they, they don't even need to support these groups, but now they're going to be like, OK, we will allow these groups to attack the military government, which is exactly what's happening right now. There have been reports that. ISIS and Al-Qaeda have been attacking uh, Wagner units in Mali and also attacking forces on the Mali-Niger border. So again, does France actually want these groups to be defeated permanently or does it want them to be maintained in a low simmer, which allows France to have an excuse to maintain its military occupation of these countries? And obviously the same is for the U.S. as well. Thank you for tuning in to my latest video. I appreciate all of your support. This channel, however, needs your help. I am seeking to make this channel more sustainable in the long term and upgrade necessary equipment to ensure that this work continues onward and makes progress to give you all of the geopolitical analysis that you all deserve. For that reason, I'm asking you to become a member of my Patreon community at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. You can find that link in the video description or in the pinned comment below. For whatever amount you choose to give, just know you are supporting independent media that you can't find anywhere else. Thank you so much, and I look forward to the next video.